Welcome to another episode of the Inside Sports Nutrition Podcast, your source for all things sports nutrition related. This show is hosted by myself, Dina Griffin, and my co-host, Bob Sibahar. We are board-certified sports dietitians and registered dietitians with combined professional experience exceeding 40 years. We are excited to bring you today's episode number 62. We are chatting with Dirk Friel. If you don't know the name Dirk Friel, I will tell you that he has a long list of accomplishments. From a business perspective, Dirk is the co-founder of Training Peaks and the Train Heroic software. He's involved with many other brands that are technology-related businesses that really have a vision to help motivated individuals learn new skills through deliberate practice. From an athlete perspective, Dirk's background is quite extensive, but you may know Dirk from his professional cycling background. He does a lot of off-road riding these days and is also an accomplished master's champion in ski mountaineering. So we're excited to chat with Dirk. We talk about his athletic background, his nutrition journey in terms of his day-to-day nutrition and the things he's learned along the way in terms of riding and racing bikes and his ski mountaineering competitions and training. So stay tuned for this episode. It's a really great conversation with Dirk. Uh, Real quick, before we get to the show, wanted to mention that I have some new Nourish Circle programs coming here in the spring of 2023. And these are really programs designed for active and athletic women 40 years of age and older. These programs are geared around health and vitality as well as athletic performance to get us through perimenopause, menopause years, and support all of the years that follow. You can find more information over on nutritionmechanic.com. Find the Nourish Circle link under the services tab, and you can get on the wait list to learn more about these programs and get a slot in one of the programs coming up in the spring. Thank you so much, listeners. We love having you here, and we hope you enjoy this episode number 62, our conversation with Dirk Friel. All right, we are so excited to have a special guest on today, right, Bob? Oh my gosh, yeah. I don't even know how to keep the intro to Dirk Friel very short because I feel like the number of hats Dirk wears is so many, but many of our listeners may know our guest Dirk Friel from being the co-founder of Training Peaks and many other training tools that so many of us athletes use. So Dirk, Welcome to the Inside Sports Nutrition Podcast. Yeah, thanks, guys. It's been a while, so I appreciate it. And uh, looking forward to the chat. Thanks for having me on. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you. I wanted to ask you a question before we dive into many other questions, because we're recording this in the morning hours, and we're all in Colorado, same time zone and everything. But I was just curious, like, if you had breakfast or something huh. to eat today, what, uh, what all did you load up with? If anything? Yeah. I mean, my go-to right now is really like, you know, a high fat Aussie, like yogurt. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, and I, I can't stand low fat yogurt. Like I need like the all natural, <laughs> like give me everything. Um, so, you know, and the fat helps, uh, you know, 
kind of maintain, I guess, levels, if you will, through the morning. So just some big crash, but, you know, I little, add a little, uh, granola to it, some nuts and literally like blueberries, like the quintessential yeah. boulder kind of yeah. breakfast, yeah. if you will. Uh, if I'm doing, you know, if I do a, a bigger day, I'm going to go into like training within an, you know, the next couple hours and it'll be a lengthy training. I'll add some toast and almond butter to it and honey, you know, so kind of start to beef it up. That's kind of the, the core for me right now. Nice. Do you, do and you coffee, and coffee. With, I, I, I was going to ask, is there a hot beverage in there? <laughs> I am like grind. I grind my beans every morning, even mm. when I travel, like I'll, I'll bring my coffee and my cone and my hot water pot. And if I don't nice. know what the coffee situation is, I'll, I'll cover my bases. That is full on, man. I love yeah. it. Music yeah. I mean, that's, layers. That's taking preparation because we always teach athletes, hey, you got to be prepared when you travel. That's literally oh. taking preparation to the next level. It is. Oh, I, yeah. Uh, well, I can bring you back way back in time, but when I was a junior racing, you know, like 15, 16, 17 traveling uh, in hotels, I just had an electric walk. Oh. <laughs> and I, and I, I could boil water. Yes. I could do pasta, rice, oh. stir fry. I could even do pancakes in it. You know, it was like yeah. this kind of flat kind of big walk yeah. and it was lightweight actually, cause it was thin, like, you know, um, fit right in my, uh, travel bag. I can pack clothes all around it. And I got really yeah. good at, uh, cooking in the walk when I was a teenager. That's actually road. impressive, impressive. And, and not so much. Cause I'm going to, I'm going to share a little story real quick uh, <laughs> before we roll, but, but I say very impressive that you actually did that as a teenager. Cause we don't, I work with a lot of teenage athletes and that's just, that's just oh. not in the wheelhouse, right? It's just like, it seems like that's just gone. Those skills are gone. <laughs> you were self, we were self-supporting back then. I mean, uh, yes, you yes. know, <clears throat> the teenagers now are flying places. We were, you know, I would drive to Northern Quebec, Canada from Boulder, you know, I would yep. drive yeah. to New York and like race nationals and drive to super week. And, yeah. uh, so it was just, it was literally living out of the car. Um, I'm sure kids still do it, you know, um, but totally. yeah, you kind of had to make do. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. And we sometimes do, right? Yeah. 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 So this Fun is, I, Dirk, I just want to say like, we've, we've known each other for many, many moons. And um, I do have to say my introduction into the Friel name was through your father, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm an endurance coach and I just remember, you know, I went to CSU, Fort Collins, so did Dina. And, but I just remember like Joe, your father's story and the running company, like it was, it, uh, I, I wanted to tell you just, this is a total aside as an endurance coach, your father and your family has had just so much positive impact, both on my career. Uh, and I think just the career of so many in, 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 you know, professionals and athletes and coaches. So one, thank you for that. Um, two though, I, I think that's why I said, Oh, that's not that impressive with you traveling with your walk, because it was almost like, cause I know your dad. I'm like, yeah, I would almost like, that would be almost like an expectation in the Friel family. I don't know if it was or not, but right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, no, thank you. First of all, thanks so much. Uh, it was it was definitely like in our DNA to be endurance athletes. Totally. And that's from the early, I, probably late 70s is really when it kind of all started. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was, uh, you know, it was anything, it, you know, uh, all resources it took to just kind of get to the next best race, you know, and, totally. and uh, whatever it took, you know, that's what, I, you know, I would do or they would help me do. And so I definitely owe them a whole great deal. And this whole generation, if you will, you know, of, you know, he started something and I kind of took it from him and, yeah. you know, kind of 
almost like just took to the next level, if you will. Um, totally. So yeah, I definitely, uh, yeah, very, very blessed and cherished to have uh, had the right parents in terms of yeah. living the endurance lifestyle. For sure, for sure. Well, let, can we kind of step back into that? So you're pretty known for your cycling background, but can you just mm. take us on the journey of Dirk Friel as an athlete? Like, did yeah. you start as a cyclist and kind of take us through, you know, college and early life and kind of where, you know, kind of ending at where we're at now? Like, what, what what's up? What are you up to now in terms of activities? Yeah, well, I mean, my father was kind of always a coach. Um, yep. He actually was a head football coach, assistant track coach uh, in, in Northern Colorado for high school. Um, and then one day he decided, uh, in like 1980 to leave coaching and teaching high school and buy a running shoe store. Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so he literally bought a, a cup, a, a business called foot of the Rockies in Fort Collins, Colorado. Mm. Uh, you know, all of a sudden now the family business was a running shoe store. Um, my parents you know, we're getting into running and they did the Boston marathon and we would travel to all kinds of races. And my mom did Boston and New York city, et cetera. Um, but then around the early eighties, so I, I was starting to kind of just do cross country in middle school, okay. you know, and, uh, then triathlon started to become a thing and my parents were dabbling in triathlon. So I started to go into triathlon early eighties. It was just picking up. Um, but then the bike, I just in just immediately just fell in love with the cycling portion. I don't, I never actually, I may have done a super short little kids triathlon, right? Um, but I just love cycling and I would come home after school and just do laps in the neighborhood. We had like a one mile lap around the neighborhood, and I'd be like, I did 18 laps yesterday. I'm gonna try 20 laps today. And nice. Um, but my parents still wanted me to do school sports. So in middle school, I was doing football, basketball, track. But then on the side, I was also cycling and racing. And so I begged them when I got to high school, can I just do the bike? So starting high school, I only just focused on on cycling. Um, luckily here in Colorado, we had the Coors Classic. Mm -hmm. So I could come down in the mid eighties and see Greg LeMond and Bernardino and, you know, Phil, Phil, uh, uh, Southern, I can't remember all the names now, just like these, yeah. <laughs> these big stars, you know, their international cycling stars were racing the same roads that I trained on. And so I just like fell in love with it even more. We had great group rides and an amazing racing calendar mm. in Northern Colorado and all the mountain towns had stage races, you know, Copper Mountain and Steamboat mm. and Crested Butte and Telluride and just it, the list goes on. We went from one stage race to the next, you know, in the eighties yeah. and um, really got to hone my skills with a, a great, you know, kind of generation of cyclists in the eighties into the nineties. Um, and I loved racing in the wind, Northern Colorado, you know, oh, yeah. Fort Collins, we got really good at, at echelons and fighting yeah. in the wind and in the gutter. And so I, I just kind of fell in love with that, that idea of the classics, the Northern classics in Belgium and Holland. And so I read everything there was about racing in, in Europe and, hmm. and, uh, then, you know, I, you know, fast forward to, I guess, high school, I was a resident at the Olympic training center okay. with like 
Bobby Julik and George Hincapie and Vandeveld and, you know, yeah. that whole kind of crew and generation. So there was just like amazing talent going on. So I obviously never made it to the world championships as a junior, but I'd make like the final 20 cut, if you will, yeah. you know? Yeah. And, um, but finally I, I decided to drop out of school. I did one year of, of college, um, dropped out, told my parents I'm moving to Belgium. I got a one-way ticket. Wow. I did, I did, um, five seasons over in Europe. So I did uh, two seasons amateur and then turned pro and stayed there. And so then I guess end of 1994 season, there was my fifth season in, in Belgium. And I came back to the States and got a pro contract back here. And I just went back to school. I went to CSU. And, okay. Uh, yeah. Go Rams. I know. Exactly. <laughs> I did one semester a year. Okay. And, uh, I would race every other month of the year and I would still race. I, I would do the fall semesters. I'd still kind of race somewhat into the fall, but that's how I got through school and I would do it all over again, the same. Um, and when I went to school, I, you know, literally in school with me at CSU training, racing and other students were Jim Miller, who, you know, mm -hmm. is oh, I know Jim. Yeah. chief of athletics at USA Yep. cycling and we had Inigo Samyon who's Dr. Inigo Samyon mm -hmm. now yeah. um you know it's Chris Baldwin and we had like amazing athletes back then that became kind of pillars in the, in the sport of cycling and Inigo now yeah. coaches the Tour de France winner uh, Tadej Pogachar he's the head of um high performance at Team UAE I, I mentioned Jim Miller um, so there was a lot going on in Fort Collins in the 1990s. Um, so that kind of brought me through a racing career, a pro career. I raced pro for 12 years, wow. retired in 2002. Hmm. Um, we started a family and that was the plan. So I kind of took a hiatus a, a little bit away from real competitive sports, but continued to train um, cycling. Um, but I always had this burning desire to kind of get back into skiing mm. because I didn't ski for so many years through cycling, but yeah. I did ski as a kid and I loved doing it. Um, and all of a sudden I discovered this sport called schemo or ski mountaineering and it's got all kinds yeah. of names associated with it, you know, randonnée and alpine touring, yeah. whatever. Um, but it was that, that blend of endurance athletics and crazy fun downhill, you know, like downhill mountain biking, but you're on yeah. skis and yeah. it's now a sport and it's going to be in the Olympics and coming up in Italy. And yeah. so there's a, a really vibrant, you know, scene in Colorado. We have, we're, there's now a morning race series at Eldora, which is like 30 minutes away from us. Um, right. And quite a few races around, around the state. So I really, I, I really do six months of, um, ski mountaineering. Um, and it's just big, long days, you know, skiing, just like on the bike. Yeah. Um, and then I kind of turn on a dime and I do six months of mountain biking slash gravel racing. Nice. And they really kind of, they do. And, and as I get older, they do complement each other. Um, cycling kind of makes me weak, you know, it's so mm -hmm. isolated, the, the, you know, not very, you don't, it's not, uh, you know, weight bearing, um, right. I've done it for so many decades. I'm sure my bones aren't in great shape. So <laughs> getting in the skiing and some running and getting that in kind of rounds me out, um, yeah. makes me stronger, a little more 
well-rounded athlete. And as I get older, you know, I think that is beneficial and they totally. definitely complement each other. So I'm definitely kind of in the heart of my season now of schema racing. So can you, can you break that down a little bit? Cause I feel like some of our listeners are going to be like skiing yeah. and mountaineering. Yeah. Like what is yeah. like, what is it? Exactly. And yeah. it's not cross-country skiing and it is not telemark skiing. Okay. Um, so the, the technology has come such a long ways that I now have carbon boots. Each boot weighs one pound. Oh my gosh. <laughs> They're in, it's all about the uphill basically. So okay. you have super light carbon boots that you can go into walk mode. So you have a full range of motion for oh, uphill. Cool but you can lock them in really quick and they're very rigid for downhill um, performance. Mm-hmm. Um, my skis are super short and skinny, mm-hmm. um, um, you know, much shorter than a cross country ski, but they're carved mm-hmm. so, so, or, or uh, shaped. So you can right. carve. Um, and we have skins and literally mm-hmm. you have mohair skins that are sticky on one side and mohair on the other. So they s- stick to the bottom of your ski. You can, gain traction and grip for the uphill. So you're literally running uphill. Um, you rip the skin, lock in your heel, lock the boot, and you wow. just bomb it straight downhill. Oh my and you, gosh. you do laps or you go from point to point. Um, okay. So my, my big race each year is called the Power of Four in Aspen. Hmm. Um, and you have to summit all four mountains in Aspen Snowmass, Buttermilk, Aspen Highlands and Ajax. Yeah. It's, it's 25 miles and 12,000 vertical feet. And it takes me right around six and a half hours. I've taken like 90 minutes off my, my time from when I first did it. Um, so somewhat up there getting closer to like an Ironman, definitely more than a full, definitely more than a half Ironman kind of, um, volume or distance, um, time-wise, um, so nutrition obviously plays a big part in huge yeah. in racing yeah. and training. Um, so I've kind of learned tips and, you know, tricks that work for me. Um, so that is the sport of ski mountaineering and it's, it's basically the, the original sport, you know, yeah. it, it is mm-hmm. literally how mail was delivered to Breckenridge, Colorado. Right. Um, right. I was in Jackson hole, Wyoming last week and the mail was delivered to Jackson hole from Victor, Idaho via skis and a, a mailman with the oh. mail on his, in his backpack yep. Yep. and he had skins on the bottom of his skis oh, wow. and that's how he delivered mail to Jackson hole, Wyoming, you know, and wow. it wasn't a sport. <laughs> it was like a necessity back then. Yeah. And we've turned it into a sport. Um, so it's, it's great. Um, yeah, I've, I, I love, I love it. Are you thinking, cause I've never done this before, but it is, it's so fascinating and I've known athletes too, who do it. Do you think the tendency of the athlete to do schemo is kind of like that cross country skier, triathlete cyclic, like more of that high endurance based kind of getting into schemo or what, what do you see in terms of who's out there with you? What type of athletes? Oh, there's a, there's a lot of trail runners, um, oh, you know, okay. a big, icon in the sport of trail running is, you know, Killian Journey. Yeah. Um, so in my book, Killian is basically the best endurance athlete, like alive right now. Right. Um, he's set the record. He set the record twice in one week on Mount Everest, like no right. oxygen base yep. camp to top and down. Yep. Um, he, he holds UTMB record. He holds, you know, hard rock 100 record, but he's yeah. also uh, a winter athlete and he does a lot um, of, you know, he's, been a past world champion, um, schemo athlete. 
So, you know, it's a low impact sport, but yeah. very high aerobic conditioning mm-hmm. at high altitudes, right. which can then transfer very well into trail running. Imagine coming totally. out of a winter of doing high altitude schemo, um, and then you, your legs are fresh and ready to go to pound on the trails. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's a lot of trail runners cool. getting into schemo, some cyclists, but mm-hmm. I, I find cyclists tend to cycle year round. Yeah, you know? uh, totally. Um, so there certainly are, you know, it, there is some cyclists coming into it. Yeah. Um, and then there's pure winter sports that, that is their absolute number one focus for the entire year is schemo. Mm-hmm. And, um, there's an athlete, John Gaston, mm-hmm. who got second in Leadville 100 mountain bike race yeah. to Keegan Swenson, Swenson. So he's, yeah. you know, pro wow. absolute world-class pro level. And he is our fastest schemo athlete, you know, in America. Huh. Um, okay. you know, he's right up there. So he does international, you know, schema races, but he can also duke it out on the mountain bike with the pros. So it's yeah, cool. that's impressive for sure. Right. So you, this is interesting to me, Dirk. So you, so about half the year, you're schema, half the year, you're cycling. And, yeah. you know, I'm just going to kind of bring in training peaks real quick. Cause you're a father, you're an athlete, you're a business person, you're co-founder of training peaks. And for the listeners, if you don't know what training peaks is, we'll put that full um, description in the link in the, in the show notes, because it's such a great online software training tool for athletes, coaches, you name it. But how do you, this is my question. Like, how do you find the time to go up on the mountain, like for hours or go out for hours and, you know, be a great dad and be a great businessman leading training peaks. Like, how do you balance that? I owe a lot to my location of where I live, you know, okay. literally, you know, we have Eldora, a small mountain, mm. 30 minutes up the road. And I can go, I love going Thursday afternoons, you know, and it's quiet getting there at like two o'clock and ski to four 30, yeah. you, know, okay. you know, two, two and a half hour ski. Um, we can go early mornings. You know, I've done many headlamp, many, many mornings, you know, 5.30 a.m. with the head- headlamp on, going right. up in the dark, getting a few hours in, um, get back, at, you know, my daughter's out of the house now, so we're empty nesters. So that's- Oh my gosh, congrats. Congrats. A lot. Well, yeah. thanks. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, last winter was my first winter as a uh, empty nester. Okay. So <laughs> certainly my training volume went up because of that, you know, right. no doubt. You know, I, I definitely had a lot of, you know, evenings, you know, where you're, you're, you're sacrificed, right? You, you're yeah. gonna, you know, I want to have breakfast with my daughter. She goes off to high school. I want to see her, you know, in the evening. So I'm going to try and fit in training around that and work. Um, so it's definitely evolved. You know, that's the benefit of getting older, you know, I guess yep. the, it's sad to drop them off at college and walk away, but it's also yeah. like I, my, my training expanded more. Totally. <laughs> right. It's like that. Yeah. 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 And I, I, I've kind of designed my life around it, obviously, as well. If if you can't tell my location, but, you know, I get up to the high country a lot and I have a a place up in the mountains that I can get away to. And so I spend maybe 20% of my time up, up in the mountains. Um, So, yeah. That's awesome. That's great. I wonder, Dirk, just with the work you do, and I know you you're involved in other companies too, other software tools and, and a number of, of features, benefits for athletes tools, but is there anything you can talk to in, in terms of, um, current projects going on with mm. training peaks or any of the other tools that maybe the listeners might benefit 
um, yeah. from or keep their eyes open. And even if it's nutrition related integrations or anything like that, um, yeah. be fun to hear. Yeah. A, a lot of people don't know. We have a sister company that we own called train heroic. Mm-hmm. Um, so almost every triathlete cyclist, um, does some form of strength training and a, a yeah. lot of coaches prescribe strength training. So, mm-hmm. uh, train heroic is the same as training peaks, but train heroic is focused on strength and conditioning. Yeah. Um, so that that's a kind of a cool project we've been working on for a good number of years. Um, um, so go check that out. If you're, if you do strength training, um, we have a lot of coaches that use both training peaks and train heroic, mm-hmm. um, within training peaks, we've recently launched a feature called stack up and mm-hmm. we launched that first for cyclists. So you can see how you compare against other cyclists of your, your same, um, gender and age, age group, but how do I compare my five minute peak power, my, mm-hmm. my 20 minute, my 60 minute, um, so what percentile are you? And that that's comparing you against other cyclists in our, in our database. Okay. Um, in the past, it was kind of like theoretical. This is how you, <clears throat> you know, kind of stack up on a world-class level, mm-hmm. but very few people are at a world-class level. So this is really cool, really kind of nifty to see, you know, what percentile am I for, you know, my 20 minute peak power and can I eke out a few more Watts next year and move up to the next, you know, um, maybe 80 percentile or whatever it might be. Um, then we, we pulled that into running. So running pace, so you can compare yourself against your age group for different, um, distances, durations of running. So, you know, what percentile are you, um, compared to our database? Um, and we're going to roll out many, many more kind of stack up, um, filters, if you will, um, that, that will kind of like help you, um, I guess assess where you're at, where you need to improve as it relates to your event. Um, you can't be, you know, the 99 percentile across the board, you know, no athlete is 99 percentile in all durations of peak power or running pace. You know, um, so what's important for you? Where do you need to improve? How do you compare against the competition? Um, and then how can we lead you down a path towards making those improvements? You know, mm-hmm. ideally with a coach, expert instruction. Um, so I see that developing a lot more. We've kind of just launched that in the last couple months. Mm-hmm. Um, on the nutrition side, we've got more and more um, third-party apps that are integrating with us in terms of our API integrations. Um, we, we have, you know, apps like super sapiens that will pull or fuel in is another one mm-hmm. where they pull our, um, past and future workout, um, data from your calendar, your training peaks calendar mm-hmm. and pulls it into their app so they can overlay your completed workout data or your planned future workouts to help give you meaningful, um, insights into how to fuel um, whether that is to recover or to prepare for tomorrow or whatever, you know, race is coming up. So we're not going to take on all the nuances of everything, nutrition within training peaks. I think it's great to partner with other experts. We've, oh gosh, probably 15 years now have been partners with my fitness pal. Mm-hmm. So you can, you can link your training peaks and my fitness pal app your macro 
um, nutrient breakdown ends up in training peaks. Mm -hmm. But if you then want to look at your micro um, nutrition, you know, details, you're going to go over to MyFitnessPal for that. Um, So I see a lot more uh, integrations with partners as we go down the road. Um, So that's kind of our yeah, that's what we're kind yeah. of doing on the nutrition side right now. That makes it's sense. It's interesting, really quick, because you you caught something. On, it caught my attention, Dirk. So you said these integrations, and, and this is the way I, I took it. So I'm an athlete. Maybe I'm a triathlete, let's just say, right? And this weekend, I've got my, you know, I'm an age grouper, and I've got my quote unquote stack, you know, most age groupers do a training stack on the weekend, Saturday, Sunday, big days, depending on the time of the year. So are you saying that there is a possibility in the future for training peaks to help guide these athletes? So if I've got a four hour bike ride and a short runoff on Saturday, Saturday, and maybe a two hour run on Sunday, like, is this what you're talking about? Like there will be some nutrition and recommendations or guidance based on training peaks, seeing that training coming in the future and saying, Hey, you might want to prepare or here are some recommendations. Is that what you were saying? I'd say that's happening today, but it's not contained within training peaks. Gotcha. There are other apps out there that you can work with that will pull in this weekend's training. Right. And it will then give you the, the advice of how to fuel, um, you know, pre-fuel during workout fuel and post recovery. Yeah. Um, So there are apps doing that today. Um, we have tour de France teams doing that today. Um, Jumbo okay. is a tour de France team and they had a, have an app called food coach. <laughs> so they pull completed workout data as well as future training and racing data. Um, so they can see, you know, what's your needs in terms of recovery after today's training, but also mm-hmm. how to be thinking forward. And it's giving then um, the advice to the athlete of what to eat. And even w- when they're at home, you yeah. know, when, they're, when they're on the road, um, they can work with the team coach, uh, you know, dietitian, you know, at the team hotel, at the race, whatever. Yeah. But this then helps them when they go back home um, to help rec- recover and fuel properly. So that's definitely um, happening today with, with okay. several different apps. Do you use, um, now I'm curious into the Dirk story, right? Yeah. Do you use any of those things for your training to kind of help? Guide I don't, your I feel I'm, I'm like not to the level where I need to really calorie count. I kind of want to okay, stay yeah. away a bit from that, if you will. Right, right. Um, probably most athletes don't really need to have the exact numbers, yeah. um, but the right, the right formula, if you will, yeah. for them, you know, they need to yeah. find the right formula that works for them. Everyone's yeah. so individual. Um, so no, I'm not, I'm not doing all that. Um, I think maybe earlier in life when I was pro or, or I was really shooting for the, you know, the podium at a really high level. And certainly during different times of the year, um, Mm -hmm. that might be of great benefit. Yeah. Have you this, that's an interesting one. So can you kind of like, how has your nutrition evolved from being a junior cyclist, right? (laughs) And, and now schemo and, and obviously we're all older. Like what did you used to do back in the days for your nutrition? If you can share that. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, it's funny. I think back, first thing I think of is living in Belgium and Northern France. And we would literally like, we would eat like horse meat. Like it was like old school. (laughs) Like the night before the race, you know, you, you get some horse meat sometimes, you know, and, oh my gosh. Uh, and, and, and then like a whole lot of spaghetti, you know, like, so we <laughs> ate a lot of spaghetti and a lot of red, you know, red meat. And yeah. 
you know, um, I th- so I think now, and I even see it, you know, with the Tour de France teams and and triathletes and elite athletes we work now, you know, so much more emphasis, obviously, on vegetables. You know, bringing in right. a lot more, you know, fruits and vegetables into into the overall diet, um, which I, you know, we didn't have enough emphasis on, you know, decades ago. So right. that's been a great evolution. I think it helps keep the person overall healthier and can sustain a career longer as well. Yeah. Um, right. So I think also, you know, again, decades ago, I think back to like what we ate during the race. Um, you know, I definitely had more real food, if you will, mm. which was good and bad. Um, I think for a long race, you know, we, you know, we were doing classics that were over six hours long, you know, in cold rain, um, so early in the race, it was kind of okay to take in, we you'd, you'd literally have like a cheese sandwich, you know, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, 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 you know, they'd have these biscuits, et cetera, that had a, you know, a good amount of fat in them. Yeah. Um, but then later in the race, we would switch over to like Dex, there was this product called Dextro energy and it was just like, I remember tablets. that. Yeah. Yeah. So I remember like late in the races, switching over just like pure sugar tablets. Um, but now, you know, you know, I definitely don't do as much of the real food. I don't know if that's a a bad thing, but I, you know, I personally have found like, I, I, I don't, I, I guess I'll name some brands of like what I use, but I really do like the, the Morton, you know, hydro gels and the never second gels, yeah, there's something about them that has that has been improved over the original kind of gels that I used to use, and not as much yeah. of a gut bomb. And they they do seem to somehow get through my gut faster. Mm-hmm. Um, so I definitely have a routine of of what I try and stick to, mm. um, you know, on race day. Um, but it's definitely evolved, you know. You know, like I say, like my, my time in Belgium was, was so, so different when we ate so many pastries, yeah. you know, literally our swanier would go each morning to the pastry shop and buy these, these pastries that were so delicious, you know, but I'm, I'm sure that they're just packed with butter and, right. high fat, you know, so it yeah. kind of slowed down the, the, the emptying of the gut Right, um, so it may not have been the best thing, but oh man, they <laughs> tasted so good. Oh, I bet. I, I think I think we know the secret now, Bob, to Dirk's, you know, athletic achievements. It's horse meat. <laughs> horse meat. <laughs> Belgian yeah. pastries. No more. <laughs> yeah. I think about lean meat, fruits, and vegetables yeah. is kind of what I think about now. I think my yeah. meat consumption has gone down, but I'm certainly not like all, you know, plant mm-hmm. based. Yeah. I'm, I'm proud to say, you know, I, I eat meat, uh, but yeah. I think the amount has come down. Um, but yeah, bringing up the, the micronutrient count within, you know, plants has definitely, uh, been more of a focus as I, as I age and less processed food, you know, is really the main thing. You cut that out. It kind of helps everything out. Mm -hmm. Did you do any sort of physiological testing Dirk over the years? Like when you were racing pro or getting into schema, did you delve into the world of testing or, do a lot of blood testing. Are you doing that kind mm. of stuff currently just to help guide, you know, your fueling and, and some of those things around your training and competitions? 
Well, in terms of testing, certainly I used to do a lot of lactate threshold, VO2 mm -hmm. max type lab tests mm -hmm. to help set zones or, or track progress. I haven't done one for maybe eight years now, mm -hmm. um, but definitely I, I used to do a lot of those in terms of tracking um, zones and improvement of, of intensity levels. Um, also, I used to do, I guess, a lot more blood tests, you know, back mm -hmm. when I was pro and racing elite. Um, you know, was, and, and back then it was more, you really kind of focused on tracking iron, you know, and yeah. iron binding capacity. Yeah. And I definitely knew iron is a fat soluble substance. So you certainly don't want to overdose on iron that can become toxic. So, you know, don't take iron unless you know you need it. Um, yeah. but you know, I, right now I, I haven't taken a supplement in over 15 years, you know, I, <laughs> just there's i have like no need i have no evidence that i need to take yeah. a you know a vitamin you know every day or iron every day or whatever it might be it's just not coming through in my you know complete blood you know chemistry tests working with my doctor you know i'm not feeling anything wrong per se so um i just kind of stay away from that i just try and stick to the real foods and nutrient dense foods. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, I, I just kind of do the annual, you know, blood test now, um, yeah. and knock on wood, like <laughs> haven't needed to do more. <laughs> and are you, cause we're, I think we're all about the same age. So as yeah. you know, we are still thriving in our, our master's years, but is there anything that has caught your eye from a nutritional angle that you're keeping in mind, like for the longevity piece or supporting our aging processes, or it's kind of same like lean protein, lots of produce and keeping up with your your exercise and all your yeah. other well-being. I, you know, I, in a way it's kind of funny, but I've cut out a lot of the starches. I've, I've cut mm -hmm. out a lot of rice. I used to eat a lot of bread. I used to eat a lot of pasta. Um, and that used to be kind of the focal point of almost every meal, right. And cereal, rice, pasta, bread, which is like, such a high percentage of my overall calorie count, yeah. which is by far not what I do now. Um, I think I time the starches, mm -hmm. um, yeah. because they do not have a lot of micronutrients, a lot of great benefit other than energy. Right. Mm -hmm. And if I overconsume those starches, it just leads to, you know, becoming heavier and fatter. <laughs> Um, so I time the starches really around, you know, they, they certainly ramp up leading into a big, um, race period, um, as well as recovery. I feel it. I adhere to like recovery windows and kind of my rule of thumb, which came from my father was however long your workout or race, that's the window of prime recovery. Mm. Um, so if, you know, I do my five hour training, you know, I feel like, okay, I can afford to take in a lot more starches, mm -hmm. um, you know, carbs via starch in that next five hours. Okay. But I kind of leave that recovery window. I'm back to lean meat, fruits, and vegetables. Mm -hmm. If I trained an hour today, I need like no recovery yeah. at all. Like literally if I did one hour 
no problem. I, I, I can replenish my muscle glycogen, my liver, you know, with just my lean meat, fruits and vegetables. So it's when I start thinking about 90 minutes or more, you know, mm. that's a really hard workout. If it's 90 minutes of mellow, again, I don't really need to focus on it, but if it's a really hard 90 minutes or more, um, then, I, then I start to like, think, okay, you know, good recovery, um, routine right, right now in terms of nutrition, ramping up the starches might be good right now. Mm. Um, so I guess that's one thing I've developed over time where I was, when I was younger, that was hundred percent all the time mm. when I was, you know, and yeah, training 28 hour weeks at high intensity and doing two or three races a week in Belgium, that's, that's what it took, you know, but it also may have sacrificed some health benefits as well. Mm, yeah. It's interesting. You mentioned that starch and kind of the periodization of starch as you've gotten older too, because I've noticed that too. Right. And I, and you, you touched on something that, that kind of hit with me where, you know, at a certain age, and I don't want to play the age card, but I'm going to play it anyway, at a certain age. And, and of course, Dean, I'm only speaking of males here because Dirk, Dirk brought this up. So I'm not, I'm just going to jump in, but I find the same thing. Like if I eat too many starches, I do, I feel heavy. I feel bloated. I feel just different than I did about 20 or 30 years ago when I was training. Right. And it's, it's amazing. I mean, we all know aging just wreaks havoc sometimes on our body, sometimes good, but sometimes not so good, but it's interesting. You said that, cause I think a lot of our listeners, including, you know, myself, we, we are going through the same thing. And Dina, I don't know if you want to share the female side of that, but I do find that I have to do the same exact thing you do, Dirk, and be very methodical with my starch intake, not necessarily fruits and veggies, but more so on the starch side of things. Dee, what do you got? Yeah. Definitely. Anything from the female I, perspective? I think, well, I think it is to the point like specificity, just like we have to give more attention to our training regimen, mm -hmm. right. As we age to mitigate some of the age related changes or other physiological changes with respect to hormonal shifting, Similarly with nutrition as being a little bit more specific or for some of us, a lot more specific, depending on health history and risk for yeah. disease states and yeah. so forth too. Yeah. I think if you go off the rails, it affects you more, right? Oh, so totally. you, you know, the extra alcohol yeah. affects the sleep or the overeating at night affects yeah. the sleep. And then, it, yeah. and then the next day you may not have the energy to do the planned workout. Whereas, you know, when you're younger, you just like bounce back and no yeah. problem and you can yeah. go out the next morning and hit it hard. Um, exactly. certainly not the case, you know, as we get older. So, and I figured out more the seek, you know, my own kind of personal secrets within, uh, my race day nutrition, you know, the pre-race meal, the, you know, on the course nutrition, kind of my program. I never really thought about that when I was 25 years old. Yeah, recently, you totally. Know? <laughs> yeah, totally. So when you are on the mountain, just, just to hit on that, when you're on the mountain and let's say, you know, over two hours, three hours, four hours, how are you consuming? Cause I know a lot of our listeners are like, how is he consuming calories? You know, a lot of people look at psychos are like, how do you take your hands off the bars? And you know, mountain biking is a little different than gravel or road, but how do you do it with schemo? Like, how do you yeah. plan during either training or racing nutrition and hydration? Like, how are you, how are you scheduling that? How are you, what are the logistics yeah. behind that? Yeah. I mean, in general, I'm kind of targeting, you know, above 75 grams an hour of carb. Okay. I'd love to try and get closer to a hundred. Okay. You know, and we're talking like my race pace for like a six and a half hour race. I mean, this is just me. I know my numbers. I'm like 152 heart rate is what I yep. average. My threshold is like one, 
167 or so. If I were to do a one hour all out effort, it'd be like 167, 168. But my six and a half hour race intensity is like 152. I don't have a power meter, you know, so I'm kind of going off RPE right. and heart rate. And I'm occasionally checking in on the heart rate to make sure I'm not at like 160, which occasionally does happen. I got to pull myself back. Mm-hmm. Um, but if I can stay at the 152, um, we do have transitions, you know, so like triathlon, oh, okay. Okay. Um, obviously from going uphill to downhill, you have a transition and from going downhill to uphill, you have a transition. And sometimes we have boot packs where you take your skis off and you put them on your backpack. So you have a transition. Okay. So I have in, in my a priority race, I have 10 transitions. Mm-hmm. So if all I did was take one gel at every transition, I would get in 10 gels in six and a half hours, mm-hmm. but I'm targeting a little more than that, you know, yeah, 12, right. 14, 12, 14 gels. Um, but that's only, if I did two gels an hour, that's 50 grams an hour, but my target is closer to a hundred. So in my, in my bottle, you know, the, the hydro flask, those nice, soft, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. ultimate direction flasks or, yep. you know, I'm, I've got 50 grams of carbs per flask. I'll start with two flasks. So that gets me to my first aid station. Yeah. at hour two. Um, and at that point, you know, I have to switch from my own personal brand that I choose to whatever's on course. Um, so yeah, just like triathlon, yeah. you, you know, you have to yep. be, you can't just stick to what you know, because on race day, you're not always going to be given that exact mm-hmm. fuel choice. Yeah. Um, so luckily I can't, you know, I can handle that. Um, but I do tend to go more towards a pure water in my flask. Hmm. The second half the race so that I can adjust, you know, how does my stomach feel? Do I feel like I, I, you know, is it, is it hotter than I expected taking in mm-hmm. more fuel or I can handle more, you know, nutrition. Um, so kind of the second half of the race, I rely more on gels and, and less on the nutrition in my actual water. Mm-hmm. But the first couple hours of the race is all my, you know, nutrition's coming through both through yeah. the gels as well as in my flask. And you're keeping um, those flasks close to your, close to your core. Yeah. To keep them. So we have, um, inside pockets inside, you know, we can mm-hmm. unzip and we have multiple pockets inside of our, our, you know, race suits. Mm-hmm. So it's staying close to the body doesn't freeze. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we have, I can have an easily accessible pocket in my backpack, which mm-hmm. is just a Velcro pocket. So I can quickly open that up and grab a flask that's back there. And because it's behind me, it's not yeah. getting the, the wind chill directly. Right. Um, so they tend to, to not freeze. Um, definitely. I don't use any hose at all. Like any hose is going. Yeah. I don't freeze. think you can. Yeah, totally. <laughs> I've, I learned that early on. You yeah. know? <laughs> I can't do a camelback with a hose. Um, you can right. on a warming, warmer race. Um, so I guess I'm targeting, you know, 75 to hundred grams an hour. Yeah. And I know the better I fuel the first half, the yeah. better I'm going to race the mm-hmm. second half. And I have had, I had, a, you know, a couple bad years where I didn't fuel well and I had the nausea and I, mm-hmm. I know I lost 45 minutes in the last two hours of the race, wow. you know, wow. but I've had good years where I've made up, you know, 30 minutes on, right. on you know, and folks ahead of me, yeah. um, so it's, it's hard to hold back. It's literally yeah. the balance between nutrition and pacing. Yeah. It's the totally. same, yeah. It's the same in marathon, it's the same in Ironman, mm-hmm. you know, it's pacing nutrition. Um, yeah. and it, that's where cycling is actually unique in a way. Like you could be full anaerobic from the start gun 
in a four hour race, you know, in a yeah. mountain bike race, you're yeah. full throttle racing for the single track. And that's a hard sport to get right, you know, in mountain biking. Um, so the more individual kind, you know, pacing sports, you know, schemo, iron right. man, um, you can definitely hone it in, but you gotta be. Yeah. How many ounces of fluid do you target per hour? Or do you have a, do you have I'm a doing range? more like probably at least 500 milliliters. Okay. You know, is really kind of what I'm, what I'm doing. Um, okay. In a hot days more, but I'd love to do right. a flask, a flask an hour with 50 yeah. grams. What, what is a, this curves. is, you just got me. What is a hot day of racing? Yeah. I was thinking the same. <laughs> I've had a, a hot, like 20, my hottest, 30. <laughs> my, my hottest power of four you know, at the finish line in Aspen is like 55 degrees. Oh, okay. Oh, wow. So that's, that's definitely warm. Yeah. Yeah. And so the final climb in that race is a 3000 foot climb. So it's going to take me an hour 45 to do that. Yeah. Yeah. And it's high noon. Cause we start yeah. at 6am Yep. and I'm on this climb at high noon and <sighs> you are baking. You have no hat, <sighs> no gloves. You're wow. fully unzipped yeah. and you're just sweating. Wow. Um, that's that's kind of unique and rare, but I've definitely had races like that skiing. Okay, okay. And you know, it's it's yeah. the springtime snow that's nice and mushy. Oh yeah, you know. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh, amazing! I love though what you said, Dirk. Like some of that focus on front loading to yeah. a degree, like right. fueling hydration in case yeah we get behind later. It helps mitigate some of that, so it makes sense. And I think that pertains to so many sports. Like you said, we can control our intensity and pacing and that nutrition plan to, yeah. to a degree. Yeah. 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 And, and it's the competition a lot of times that dictates. So you can't always go into a race, just planning your exact pace. Um, mm -hmm. If you're racing for the podium, you got to go with the competition True. Yeah. in a, a, yeah. any age group now, like, yeah. Totally. Every age group is so competitive now. You know, I'm speaking of like Ironman and Halfman. Uh, so the less, the more you're racing for the podium, the higher the risk you're taking on. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so it's like full, full throttle. It's going to work or you, it's not going to work. <laughs> no. And athletes have to prepare that. I mean, let's pick, yeah. take it back to nutrition. They have to prepare for that nutritionally. And just, I mean, you mentioned even just going anaerobic with the mountain bike racing full right. on. Like if you don't practice that in training, you're going to, you're going to blow up on, yeah. on race day. Yeah. And experience comes into play when you have to realize, oh, this is the moment. And that's what I learned in, you know, professional cycling. Like this is the mm. moment to get it in. You know, I, I don't have many of these. I got to get it in now. And like, you know, you, you do everything you can to, to kind of get it in, um, for the next surge, you yeah, know, or, or the, sure. or the spot on the course where you can take it easy and ride no handed and kind of like grab a gel out of your pack or whatever it may be. Um, so that experience of knowing when, and, and realizing that this is the moment you got to jump on it. Um, and you know, that experience goes a long ways. Totally. For sure. Oh, wow. This has been so cool, Dirk, to hear more about your athletic endeavors and the, you know, kind of the not juxtaposition. I don't think that's the right word, but the schema world versus your cycling, you know, some of those differences and just more about what you've been up to. Thank you so much for sharing yeah. that. Has, has there been anything that um, you've thought of that you'd like to additionally throw into our conversation? 
I think like another thing that I've kind of learned is to, to train the gut, you know, in training. Mm. Um, yeah. so definitely never really did that with a focus. Um, I, ideally I would do that once a week, you know, on a long training session where I adhere to like, it's sort of like nutrition comes first. Like I know I can yeah. do the hours, but yeah. let's get the nutrition in mm. and just kind of like train the gut to, and, and see how it goes. And, um, yeah, so it, that starts 10 weeks out. You know, it's, it's yeah. not the week before the race, you know, <laughs> right. Right. So really, I guess not? that's another thing. <laughs> Wait <Yeah>. a minute. <laughs> no, that's, that's a really good message because I think a lot of athletes do kind of, they implode a little bit and they, yeah. they, they lead, they, I mean, let's, let's give everyone props. I mean, doing any type of sporting event and competition, there's a lot of moving parts. I don't care what sport it is. Right. And sometimes nutrition isn't a high priority and that's what we're trying to send the message is that, Hey, let's make that a higher priority than you, you thought in the past, at least. So I like the 10 weeks, 12 weeks, 16 weeks, like whatever, um, you know, start, start with the, you know, my thing, nutrition periodization, like make sure you periodize your nutrition to support your training. And that's exactly what you're talking about is as you're building and getting some higher intensity or longer volume, like let's, Let's start getting the nutrition that you think is going to work, or maybe you want to experiment with early on, because, you know, I think we've all been through those little mishaps and you're like, well, well, you come back from a session, you're like, that didn't work today. So, you know, not that you have to go back to the drawing board, but you just have to tweak some things. Yeah. So I think that's a really powerful message. Yeah. I save all my packages to like within the okay. training session. And then I come yeah. back and I empty my pockets. Yes. So yes. I, I, Cause I can't yes. always remember during training, but then I'm yeah. like, I count like the gels and I, then I record how many scoops I put in my bottles yeah, you know, cool. yeah, yeah. and uh, I'll record that. Um, and that kind of, it was a little bit last, the last check-in of like, yeah, okay. I w- didn't do as many as I planned, you know? Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> nice. no, that's, that's good. That yeah. is a great, a great message for the athletes is because a lot of times it depends on where you train, but you know, you'll, you'll stop at a watering hole or whatever bathroom and you'll throw away your trash or, I mean, that's a good thing to kind of keep it in your jersey or your pockets or your pack or whatever, because you do want to have that. It's, it's kind of like that post-workout um, assimilation of what happened, right? Mm-hmm. What yeah. did I do? Because exactly. yeah, I mean, Jeez, even like a few hours you're out there, you're like, what did I eat? How much did right. I eat again? Right. <laughs> I know. How many gels did I throw away at that gas exactly. station? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Six. Yeah. Totally. Right. Totally. Yeah. Well, Dirk, I have to say that I I thought I knew a lot more about you than I did, but I yeah. learned so much just about so like true. your history and your past, which is so cool. And, and that's why we love talking to people and athletes and you know, successful business people and fathers and parents like you, but what a cool history. I mean, that's, yeah. so I, I'm just saying thank you from the bottom of our hearts, right? Um, we want our, we want our listeners to experience a little bit more behind Dirk. So we're going to, we're going to end with some high five questions, if you don't mind. And right. we just an, ask a series of five questions that are kind of a little more, I don't say personal, but just kind of off the whim, off the beaten yeah. path, if you will. So is that okay to, to ask them? Yes, no problem. <laughs> All right. Dina, you want me to start? Yeah. All right. So first question, what is a sporting adventure on your bucket list? Not a race or competition, but like an adventure if you have one. Yeah. Uh, definitely bucket list is to get to Norway. Uh, I want to uh, ski the fjords in Norway, okay. possibly by boat, oh. take a stay on a sailboat or, you know, a boat, go up the fjords and ski yeah. to from the boat. That's definitely like a, 
little bit of a dream I want to get to. I, wow. I checked off another adventure two years ago during COVID and got up to uh, Valdez, Alaska. Oh, okay. nice. It went, went touring up on Thompson Pass up That's there. Um, so I love kind of getting the high mountains that are uh, far away from Colorado and experiencing yeah. different uh, mountain ranges. Love it. So Love hardcore. It. It's awesome. <laughs> it's fun. It's a vacation. <laughs> yeah. That's great. Uh, question number two, Dirk, what is your wind down routine to end your day? Well, I thought you said wine. Oh, so, well, maybe it is part of that's wine. Part of it. particular wine of choice. I go to like a Sauvignon for my wine down of the day. I love wine, some, wine. A deep oak. So, so that's my answer. Uh, like a deep Sauvignon. Uh, definitely. I love it. Dina, we're going to have to remember that question for the future. Cabernet. No, wine. sorry. Sauvignon is more of a Cabernet. Sorry. Wrong, wrong varietal. Uh, Cabernet. Okay. Awesome. Love it. Okay. Number three, what is your go-to, your primary favorite, whatever post ski meal, not like a recovery snack or anything, but like a meal, what's the best one for you after skiing that you enjoy? Well, I guess the, the one that gets to my mouth watering and that I would love is like a pizza. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like I earned it. That's like my kind of, I earned it meal. Yeah. Right? yeah okay. You're probably burning um, a ton of calories, by the oh, way. Yeah. Geez. Yeah. So I don't do a lot of pizza, but that'd be, that would be like after my race meal would be, they have it at the finish line. In fact. So. Okay. Okay. Nice. <laughs> All right. Well, question number four, Dirk, and I know we live near each other. So, so I think, well, I'll ask the question, even though I'm just curious about this one, since I think I've seen you in my local Canyon a few times, but in Colorado, what is a favorite cycling route? And maybe, maybe that's an off-road route and a road route if you're doing much road riding. Yeah. Um, I'm going to go to one of my favorites certainly has to be the gold Hill, you know, it's mm -hmm. a gravel ride. Mm -hmm. Um, connecting, you know, to the Switzerland trail, you know, a little yeah. more rocky, hardcore going up through wall street. It's old town, wall street up four mile Canyon to Switzerland trail, the gold Hill, nice. um, down sunshine Canyon, you know, some, some classic route like that on dirt is certainly one of my favorites. Great. Nice. Love it. Okay. So this last question, uh, this one's going to take a little bit and it's, it's the most difficult one. So we save it for mm. last. If you only had one single piece of advice to give to all athletes, only one piece, all athletes, what would that be? Uh, go slow to go fast. Oh, interesting. Many, yeah. Way too many athletes have way too much intensity in their training program yeah and they need to focus the intensity and have a lot more easier days yeah to build that aerobic kind of conditioning you know building the mitochondria building the ability to to burn the lactate efficiently the fat oxidation that stuff takes a lot of disciplined time and you have mm -hmm. to have a true governor on the effort and hold mm -hmm. back and the ego takes over. So, so difficult. Yeah. Ignore your ego and go slow. I love that. And it is, it's, it's tough for time crunched athletes, isn't it? It's like, okay, I've got oh. an hour here and, and they just want to bang it out. Right. But yeah. you know, a lot of times I, I try to educate the same message, like, you know what, depending on the training cycle, what you're trying to do and your age and, and your sport, 
yeah, like back it up a little bit. So I love that last piece of advice. Yeah. yeah. And intensity plat means you plateau early. So, you know, do three days of intensity this week, do that for the next five weeks and tell yourself that's as good as I'm going to get. Is that yep. your goal? Yeah. No, yep. Exactly. <laughs> so you got to back it off and, and time the intensity. Yeah. yeah, for sure. For sure. Love that message. All right. So good. Yeah. Well, Dirk, thank you so much for spending time with us this morning. And we'll be sure to put links to you and the companies that you're involved in, uh, in the show notes for everyone. Check that out. We so appreciate your time today and gosh, so much more to keep, keep our eyes on with Dirk Friel. So thank you so much on behalf of Bob and myself and all the listeners out there. We appreciate you and we will sign off for today. Yeah. Remember listeners. That was fun. Thank you, Dirk. We appreciate it. Listeners. Remember eat to train. Oh yeah. And nourish to thrive. Nice. We hope you enjoyed our interview with Dirk Friel, co-founder of training peaks, train heroic, and so much more. Be sure to follow Dirk and his athletic adventures over on Instagram, Dirk Friel. So fun to see his outdoor adventures of all types and very inspiring as well. So thank you, Dirk, for being on the show. And thank you listeners for tuning in. Be sure to stay tuned for next week's episode. We're doing another Ask Us Anything episode. And this time around, we're talking about snacks. So yes, we are answering a handful of questions we have received about snacking regarding protein bars, smoothies, types of snacks, whether we should have snacks, and so on. So stay tuned next week for that one. If you're not already following our podcast or subscribing, be sure to click that follow or subscribe button on your respective podcast platform of choice. And if you do have a minute to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or a rating on Spotify, Apple, or your pod platform, that would be most appreciated. It does help us grow and share our content with other listeners around the world. You can get the show notes for all of our episodes on our website, insidesportsnutrition.com. And also, if you'd like to learn more about Bob or my services, you can go to our respective websites. So for Bob, it's energyperformance.com, E-N-R-G-performance.com, and myself, Dina, over at nutritionmechanic.com. Thank you so much. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are solely those of the hosts and the guests involved and do not represent a replacement for medical consultation with your doctor. The information and opinions provided here are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease or medical condition. This podcast is for information, education, and entertainment purposes only. 